AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. Charles Darwin. All right, well, we are officially through two weeks of NFL action and heading towards week three. So at this point in the season, we are going to be posing and discussing eight questions about things going around the league today. And the first one, Logan, is one that I certainly did not expect to be having coming into this season. Is Carson Wentz the issue in Philly's offense, which has struggled through two games, as the Eagles said at 0-2, and is he in danger of losing his job? No on both counts. Uh, Philly's O-line is 27th in pass protection, uh, tied with Houston for most sacks allowed through two weeks. Uh, Zach Ertz only has eight catches and 60 yards. They don't have a running back over 100 yards rushing yet. Uh, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott have been extremely underwhelming. And as for Wentz's wideouts, I mean, Deshaun Jackson is his best target, but they can't seem to get on the same page. Uh, uh, rookie Jalen Rieger has looked okay, but if your go-to guy is a 34-year-old Deshaun Jackson, your weapons are really limited. Um, Carson Wentz is not the issue here. It's the pieces around him. And honestly, Carson... I think we have taken the O-line for granted in Philadelphia these past few seasons, and 2020 is the year that uh, that proves how fluky the last three Eagles seasons have been. I completely agree, and I think that when you look at these first two weeks, yes, Wentz has struggled. Two touchdowns of four interceptions, has not been exceptional in either game, and has made some big-time mistakes. At the same time, he's been sacked eight times, and the O-line isn't what it used to be. It's aging and at this point deteriorating a little bit. The Eagles allowed 37 points versus the Rams. That's out of his hands. Now, they should have scored more than 19, but the reason it looks like a blowout is in large part because the defense struggled. The run game was brutal, basically non-existent against Washington because Miles Sanders was out for that game. And yes, he didn't finish strong in either game. And when it came to winning time, Wentz was not at his best, which is uncharacteristic because normally he does gut out those close games. And that's how the Eagles have been able to remain a playoff team, even when they haven't been all that good for the last two seasons. Four turnovers through two games is also uncharacteristic. He generally does a great job of not turning the ball over. 
But if you look at his individual performances versus Washington, they were up. He was relatively commanding in that game, and then things sort of fell apart. Versus the Rams, he was pretty composed. Through two-plus quarters, was kind of picking them apart. Lots of checkdowns, but still, he was finding gaps in the defense and exposing them. They were driving to take a lead early in the third, and then he threw a pick in the end zone, and then everything spiraled out of control. So I'm not saying that he's excused for that, but as he played a terrible two games... I don't really think so. Does that mean that he's awful now and that he's a replaceable quarterback? No, because over the last three years, this guy has thrown 81 touchdowns to 21 interceptions. He's one of the most dangerous out-of-the-pocket passers there is. A genius playmaker when he's at his best, where he makes throws where you think, man, only maybe Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers can do that. And he's a winner. The Eagles shouldn't have made the playoffs last year. They did because Wentz was spectacular when they needed him to be. In the Super Bowl season, he would have been, no question, the MVP of the league if he had stayed healthy for those last three games. I think when he continues to develop chemistry with Rager, when we see Sanders back, and he was pretty good in his debut, obviously the run game with Boston Scott and whoever else they have down there is basically non-existent, but when you have Sanders there, you at least have a pretty good option. I think the weapons aren't maybe exceptional, but... Goddard, Ertz, Jackson, a developing Rager. There's potential there. So you just can't be ridiculous. Eagles fans and Philly fans in general are an angsty people. And they have these high expectations and they always think that radical change is the answer. This guy keeps dragging you to the playoffs though. He is in some ways a miracle worker and he has made things happen with injury-ridden, depleted rosters. And he has brought them to a level of success that they shouldn't have had. And you're not going to turn to Jalen Hurts in these spots. Maybe you like the guy. I understand that. Wentz is on another level. This is a guy who, at his best, is a top 10 quarterback in football, and I can say that confidently. I still consider him to be on the fringe of that, even though he hasn't been great through two games, because look at the resume. The resume is what dictates here. Has he been a little passive? Has he made some big mistakes? Yes, but he's Carson Wentz. He is a magician at his best. Uh, I, I completely agree, and uh, I think, although Carson, I will say week one, I'm putting that all on Carson Wentz. I am putting week one, that was his fault. Um, the fumbles, the pressure, the pressure isn't his fault, but the fumbles and the untimely decision-making, uh, it seemed like the Eagles' offense just went to sleep. I agree that he crumbled late. My point was just, it wasn't like he played a terrible, complete game, started off okay, and then fell apart, but you're right. And I think there are some issues in the Eagles' front office as well. You take a look at how they've drafted in the past few seasons. They have not prepared well for the deterioration of this offensive line whatsoever. Lane Johnson, Jason Peters, I mean, all these guys aging. Uh, and they have not drafted to replace any of these guys. I think the Eagles' front office has taken the trenches uh, for granted as much as the fans have. And as for the Hurts case, there isn't one to be made. I heard uh, you know, Max Kellerman come on first take and make the Jalen Hurts to start campaign. No, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I think you made a great point about the front office there because Wentz has been patching up holes on this team for a couple seasons. This defense is not nearly what it was in the Super Bowl season, hasn't been for the last couple years, and people are aware of that. The weapons, yes, some of that has been caused by injuries, but they've been subpar for a couple years now. In fact, this might be the best that they've been since that Super Bowl season. So to suddenly put this on Wentz when he has been the thing keeping you afloat for a couple years, that's just unfair to me, and, and it's misguided. So let's move on now to talk about another quarterback who, while Wentz is trending down a bit, this guy's trending up. And we're talking about Josh Allen, who represents the colors that I am wearing right now. Is he a top 10 quarterback in football, Logan? Yes, and I have 
I have no respect for anybody that does not have Josh Allen in their top 10 quarterbacks through two weeks. It is foolish to me. I will not appreciate any football opinion you have if he is not in your top 10 because I think there are some guys that you can make a case and put clearly above them. Patrick Mahomes, who has 513 yards, five touchdowns through two weeks. Russell Wilson, Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Matt Ryan, and Ben Roethlisberger. No one else is above Josh Allen that I didn't name. And I don't think you can make a case. Maybe out of past and what you've seen out of guys in the past, but this season, Josh Allen is top 10, and it is not close in my opinion. Well, if we're only going off their resume through two weeks, it's him and maybe Russ. That's the argument. I just don't think that's necessarily how we should be evaluating guys. Yes, Allen has been remarkable. I do think he's a top 10 guy. I think it's a little closer than you would have it. For example, I would certainly have Deshaun Watson and Drew Brees above him. I think there's a case to be made for Dak. But I do think that he fits right into the very end of the top 10. I'm sorry, dude. Honestly, Brees isn't up there. He isn't. I understand that he has been underwhelming through two weeks, but look at what we saw from him last year. I'm just not ready to write him off. I think that I don't want to be the overreaction guy here because Allen has been essentially perfect. 70% completion, 727 yards, six passing touchdowns, 10.5 yards per attempt, plus 76 rushing yards and a touchdown. The fumbling is an issue. It's been an issue. He has two fumbles lost already this season, 14 fumbles last year, but he's been great. I just think that we need to keep in mind the inaccuracies, the things that we've seen from him in the past, but that's not what I was going to do. I was going to go all in on Josh Allen here, and I'm going to continue to do that because I have been at times skeptical of him, and I really thought this was going to be a prove-it season, and through two weeks, he has done nothing but prove it. He has been spectacular, and if you look at his arc in the NFL thus far, his rookie year, he had maybe the worst offensive line in football, had unequivocally the worst weapons in football, still went 5-6 and six as a starter as their leading rusher, their leader in the leader in rushing yards and touchdowns with Zay Jones and Robert Foster as their leading receivers. Those two combined have less than 300 yards since that season, and they were leading the pack. And one of the things that we've talked about with Josh Allen before is he actually was pretty good at limiting interceptions last season. He was best in the big spots consistently. He's a fighter and a dog, but it was the deep ball inaccuracy. It was this tantalizing part of his game that could be unlocked that just wasn't. 7 of 9 on deep balls in week 2 versus 31% completion there last year. Just more touch, more accuracy on those, which just takes him up another level as a quarterback. I think another really important thing that we cannot understate with, with this team is that these weapons are incredible. The increase in quality of the supporting cast for Josh Allen, going from Zay Jones and Robert Foster to then John Brown and Cole Beasley, who really overperformed last year, by most standards, John Brown is not a number one receiver. Cole Beasley is not a number two receiver. But now you put a legitimate elite number one in Stephon Diggs. Him and John Brown have this unbelievable chemistry, and we've seen that through two weeks. He trusts and really likes Beasley as a guy out of the slot. And then he's a winner. Five fourth quarter comebacks last year was unbelievable in week two in the first half and then had a little bit of a rough stretch when really the Bills just couldn't get stops on the Dolphins. And then when they needed him to, when they were in danger, he was phenomenal again. He's not perfect. He still misses some throws. He still puts a little too much heat on it sometimes. He still fumbles. But he has gone from being bordering on a liability to then being the kind of guy who could sort of manage a game for you almost, which is not the kind of thing that you think about when you see a skill set like Josh Allen. 6'5 can run like a deer with a cannon of an arm. But last year, the defense was so good, his role was more just to not screw things up. Now he's a weapon. 
And this is a guy with insane natural talent who has improved upon his weaknesses, who is in an incredible situation with a a great defense behind him and a bunch of weapons that he can work with. And I think that, yes, he is a top 10 quarterback in football now. And I don't think that's an overreaction to say because I don't think he's a top five quarterback. I don't think he's close. I don't think he's sniffing that tier yet. But when you look at the fact that he's a top three running quarterback in football with a top five pure arm, when he learns to control that and rein it in and goes from a bucking Bronco to a more controlled, developed quarterback, which I think we're seeing right now, that is terrifying. You may have just answered my question to this. Uh, you know, the Bills had the number two defense in football last season. Carson, from what you've seen out of Josh Allen this year, how important is it for the defense to keep up that level of production for the Bills to win games? Do you think you can see a fall off in the Bills defense and still win games with Allen? A slight fall off, yes. Through two weeks, Josh Allen has been the best player on this team, which has been incredible. You you would never have thought that when you look at the defensive talent on this squad, but that's been the case. He's been not just more valuable than a guy like Trey White because he is the quarterback, and inherently that's often the case. He has been, regardless of position, the best player on the field for the Buffalo Bills. So when you take a guy who, again, bordered on a liability, and then you turn him into a nuclear weapon— Yeah, obviously you can take a drop off in some other spots on your team because you are overcompensating for it in this other spot now. He's been unbelievable, and it's been incredible to see. I certainly did not expect it this early in his third season. There were questions about if he was the guy long-term in my mind before this season, and it's only been two weeks, but he has authoritatively said, yes, I am the guy thus far. The Bills are 2-0. Let's talk about the worst 2-0 team in football right now, And also, on the flip side of that, the best 0-2 team. Uh, I think the best 0-2 team in football right now, and uh, I would like to apologize. I did forget to mention Deshaun Watson uh, when listing the top 10 quarterback. Deshaun is definitely up there. Yeah. And with that being said, I think the best 0-2 team in football is the Houston Texans. And two tough-ass opponents to kick off a season. I mean, you're going up against the defending Super Bowl champs, and you have to play the reigning MVP. That is absolutely brutal. I think talent-wise, the Texans aren't bad off. Deshaun Watson is a top-10 talent at QB. Brandon Cooks will improve as the season goes along. He's extremely consistent. A healthy Will Fuller has looked really good on routes and in progressions with Watson. And Jordan Aikens has been a pleasant surprise at tight end. And David Johnson is not completely washed. Do I think the talent on their team translates to wins, though? No. This team continues to have a brutal schedule, and their offensive line just might be the worst in football. They visit Pittsburgh this week, and then they have the Packers and Patriots to follow, but I do have to mention they have two games against the Jags, a game against the Bengals, and the Lions. Um, I'm not overreacting to the first two games, and I won't overreact to this week against Pittsburgh because the Texans will have played the three best teams in the AFC to open their season, but with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, I can't count out the Texans in any facet, and... I'm just hoping that it does translate to wins for the Texans because I don't want to see another, you know, another season of Watson's career go to waste. Deshaun is only got is the only reason that I even considered the Texans for this spot. I don't have them here. I consider them to be sort of an honorable mention. I just don't like their roster very much top to bottom. Their defense has taken a clear step back, and I expect that to sort of continue throughout this season. And the D Hop trade is still inexplicable to me because he was undeniably such an important safety valve, the kind of guy who Deshaun could just throw the ball up to and odds are he was going to catch it and make a play and they don't have that anymore. Brandon Cooks is a good receiver. He does not compare to that. I thought about the Falcons just because their offensive talent is overwhelming. You look at Matt Ryan's been incredible. 
Julio and Ridley are probably the best receiver duo in football. Uh, Russell Gage has even been awesome for them through two weeks, almost threw a touchdown as well to Julio. But the defense is just downright poor for the third straight year now, and I don't see that turning around when I look at this personnel. I'm going to go with the Vikings. And this is not based on their performance through the first two weeks because they have been disgusting. But I think that they are likely to end this season as the best 0-2 team. Their defense has been thrashed. They scored 11 points in Week 2 after letting up 43 in Week 1 to the Packers. Kirk Cousins has been awful. 59% completion, two touchdowns to four interceptions. Miserable. At the same time, when I see the peak version of the Vikings, I think it's the highest of any of these teams, and I think it's likely that they reach it because Cousins is the kind of guy who everyone likes to just crap on and say that he's not good enough to do this, he's not good enough to do that, he doesn't step up in the biggest moments. And some of those criticisms are fair. At the same time, in his Vikings career before this year, he was a 56-touchdown to 16-interception guy at around 70% completion. Is he an elite quarterback? Far from it. Is he the kind of guy that's going to lose you games? For the most part, no. And he absolutely did in Week 2. He was terrible. But that is not characteristic of the Kirk Cousins that we generally see. I still think this defense is really talented when you look at Harris and Smith and Barr and Kendricks and Ngakwe. With... On the offensive end, an incredible number one running back in Dalvin Cook, a great number one receiver in Adam Thielen. And so they may not be a playoff team, but I think that they're the most impressive of this bunch. And again, the defense has not been good through two weeks. But when I look at the talent on that side of the ball, the coaching, the culture that Mike Zimmer has there, do I trust them to turn that around after five straight seasons before this year as a top 10 scoring defense, I do trust that. And I believe in that more than I believe in the Texans suddenly improving on that end or the Falcons improving on that end. So I just think that the Vikings have been awful, but they have so much room to grow. I know that we both picked them to win the division. What are your thoughts on that pick? Uh, I completely disagree. Um, When you're talking about a Kirk Cousins in the past two seasons, it's been because of the pass protection that he's gotten from his O-line. They were the 14th, uh, they were the 14th ranked pass protecting O-line in football last season, the ninth the season before that. This season through two weeks, I know it's a small sample size, but they are 29th in the NFL in pass protection. And I don't, I don't trust Kirk Cousins behind a bad O-line to produce. Uh, I think this season that we have seen flashes out of Dalvin Cook, and I think he's got to continue to set the tempo for Kirk to be successful. Um, I'm completely out on the Vikings, to be honest with you, Carson. I have hated what I've seen through two weeks. I have not liked any facet of their defense outside of the secondary, um, and I've really not liked what I've seen out of Kirk Cousins. Uh, I think talent-wise, they may be up there, but this O-line is much too poor. And I know I'm talking about both sides of my mouth with how bad the Texans are, but I've seen Deshaun Watson behind a battle line, And I've also seen Kirk Cousins behind a battle line. Watson has produced. Kirk Cousins hasn't. Well, and I think that there's a different level of talent there. There is a talent gap. Uh, Deshaun Watson is a freak. He's also the kind of guy who can make plays outside of the pocket with his feet, also as a passer and as a runner, to where he doesn't necessarily depend on that as much. And he has brought the Texans to 10-win seasons with rosters that are not 10-win caliber rosters. At the same time, when I look at this Vikings team up and down I do think it's a I, I do think it's that level of a roster and I think there's potential for them to turn it around let's look on the flip side of that the worst 2-0 and team who do you think that is uh this is by far the toughest uh question I think to decide honestly I've loved what I've seen out of most 2-0 and teams I thought about going with the Cardinals but I actually really like the Cardinals um I'm gonna take the Tennessee Titans and I thought also I thought this would be a runaway in favor of the Chicago Bears, but as horrendous as the Bears' offense is, uh, the Bears have an elite defense this season. Uh, Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks are are wreaking havoc. 
Uh, I think the Titans are the worst 2-0 team because they don't do anything exceptionally well. This isn't to say that they aren't a playoff team. They can be. I think the Titans are a playoff team. They're just so mediocre in every facet of the game. Only eked out a two-point win against the Broncos. Yes, um, who's their kicker? Uh, Gostowski, he missed a couple field goals in the game. Um, so, obviously, it should have been a little big, bit bigger of a win against the Broncos. But the Jacksonville Jaguars also dropped 30 on this team. Um, Christian Fulton has been solid in the secondary, but I'm not confident in the rest of the unit as a whole. Uh, my issue is still with the offense. Ryan Tannehill does fit this team like a glove, uh, but he game manages. And if Derrick Henry goes down, this team will crumble. The offensive line has taken a slight step back without Conklin, and they just aren't the same from last year. I think this Titans team is good, and I think they're a good 2-0 team. They're just, I think they're the worst out of the bunch. There's a case to be made for the Titans. I'm going to go with the Bears, though. I think that similarly to the Titans, they eked out two wins against two teams that aren't all that great. In particular, for the Bears, it was a three-win Lions team last season and a four-win Giants team from last season. So obviously, it's not all that impressive to sneak by those two teams. And Trubisky's been okay, but the weapons are last are lacking up and down this roster. Of course, Allen Robinson wants out, which is certainly not encouraging. And their defense was fantastic last year, right? It was an elite unit. It was probably a top five defense in football. And they still won just eight games, and they got outscored by a point a game because they only put up 17 and a half because Trubisky struggled throughout that entire season and they didn't have the weapons. They had the number 29 scoring offense in football. And I don't really see that improving. Who have they added? What has changed on this offense to make me think that all of a sudden they're going to be great? And we've seen Trubisky be okay in stretches. We've seen Trubisky be great for single games, but we know that that's not what he's capable of long-term. So unless this defense gets up to the level they were at two seasons ago where they're the best in football, I just don't think the Bears are a playoff roster and I can certainly see an outcome where the Vikings are. Even though I'm not all that high on, or excuse me, not the Vikings, the Titans. Even though I'm not all that high on Tennessee, I just think up and down, it's a better football team, and the formula that they're trying to replicate is essentially exactly what they did last season when it worked pretty well for them, whereas the Bears are also sort of running things back when it didn't work as well for them because they have such glaring weaknesses that I really just don't trust to be all that improved this season. Let's move on now to talk about the granddaddy of them all, if you could call the MVP award that, and I just did. Through two weeks, there have been a number of exceptional quarterbacks, I think is obviously the position you look at first. Who are you taking to win that award right now, and has that changed from your preseason prediction? It has, Carson. And uh, earlier, I wanted to lull the fans into a false sense of security. My MVP pick is Josh Allen. The reason Allen is my pick is the addition of Stefan Diggs. We are seeing the value of a root runner like Diggs because of how bad the Vikings have fallen off and the connection between the two is. 16 catches, leading uh, a league leading 239 yards and a touchdown for Diggs, but it's not Diggs and what he has done individually between him and Josh Allen. It is the value that he brings to the rest of the offense. He opens up the rest of the field for guys like John Brown, Devin Singletary, and Cole Beasley. Don't forget, last season Brown put up 1,000 yards and six touchdowns. He's no slouch. Defenses have to game plan around and put extra guys on Diggs, and I think he was the missing piece of this offense. Allen, uh, as you remember, Carson, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he had the most average yards per attempt last season, correct? Allen, did he? 
I, I'm pretty sure Allen averaged the most yards for attempt last season. He's a slinger. He's not afraid to go downfield. And as horrible as his inaccuracies were last season, Diggs fixes most of those. And like I said, he opens up the field for guys like John Brown to throw downfield. He's got a rocket arm and can instinctively move around in the pocket, and he's a great runner. Now, the counter to Allen as MVP would be some of his boneheaded decisions and his fumbles. If he can just cut down on that, I think the Bills will continue to win games with a solid defense, a much-improved offense, and <laughs> I think it's in the cards. Carson, do you think I'm crazy for taking your quarterback to win MVP this season? I think that you're pretty crazy, and I think that Allen has been <laughs> remarkable through two weeks. He has consecutively had the best games we've ever seen from him, and obviously he's always dynamic as a runner, but what has been so encouraging is the efficacy of his deep balls to where he is connecting consistently putting just more touch under those balls and again he has better weapons and that includes Diggs again as you mentioned there's less pressure on JB now he's getting more favorable matchups and that guy's a weapon in the open field and he's the kind of speedster who can smoke people as his nickname suggests and get open downfield at the same time when I compare Josh Allen a guy who was maybe a league average quarterback last year to a veteran superstar like Russell Wilson or the most talented quarterback we've ever seen in Patrick Mahomes, who are also potentially on better all-around teams, uh, certainly in the Chiefs' case, I'm going to lean towards those guys. And I think that Allen is remarkable. I think that he's certainly en route for a fantastic season, especially by his standards. But MVP to me is a little ambitious. And I'm going to lean on the safe side of things. I'm going to take Russell Wilson. I wanted to do it before the season. And I, I chickened out before the year because I thought the Chiefs are going to be so dominant. Mahomes is going to put up these insane numbers. The Chiefs will go 15-1, and one, and you can't turn them down at that point. But Russ is just unreal. Nine touchdowns to one interception. You can feel the narrative building of, wow, look at how special this guy is. He's one of the best quarterbacks to not have an MVP to this point. So I think that we're just headed in that direction. And if Mahomes is unstoppable enough then maybe we get to the point where, you know, they just don't turn him down. But generally, voters favor parity, and they're not going to want to start a Mahomes MVP dynasty, even though he could win the award every year. Let me ask you, Logan, because I see you're upset about this. Do you really think that Josh Allen is going to beat out these two staples of the game, kind of guys we know are going to be incredible every week, versus a guy who has had two fantastic performances, but again, has never carried a team like this before and previously has bordered on a liability. I think that he's clearly much improved, but he's not Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. I don't do these things because they're easy, Carson. I do these things because they're hard. <laughs> um, I think if a guy like Allen wins MVP and the way it's going to happen is it's going to be an anomaly. It's going to be an outlier season the way uh, much we saw like Cam Newton. It's going to be because of he has a great season, and I'm expecting that individually from Josh Allen. I think, I don't know, he's so young, he's fast, there's just so much ability here, and I can see that there's this ceiling, and if he can just break through, much like the Cam Newton season, where he just broke through and was the best player in football, and it wasn't a contest. Allen is, we're going to need to see some improvement, as you said, in decision-making. We're going to need to see less <laughs> We're going to need to see him carry this roster, but I think the schedule has that in the cards because they have tough games, and if he can win these tough games against actually relatively easy defenses. You talked about the Titans, uh, the Bills match up against the Titans. Let me pull up the schedule real quick just so I can uh, make sure that this take is accurate. I don't think the schedule is exceptionally hard for the Buffalo Bills, 
Um, yeah, you've got to take on the Pats, but they're missing a little bit twice. You've got to take on the Dolphins and the Jets, which I think if Josh Allen has some big games, could be deadly. The Seahawks have no pass rush. He can beat up on the Cardinals. The 49ers are beat up. I think that the schedule is is there for Josh Allen to take to rip these defenses and have big games. I think we can see big numbers and wins. I think it, we're just going to have to make sure that he doesn't turn over the ball and lose this team games because it is very possible with a guy who takes as many deep shots as Josh Allen. He's been fantastic. I just think we need to keep in perspective that it's been the Dolphins and the Jets, and it's been two weeks. I have a question for you, Carson. Would you, as a Bills fan, would you rather Josh Allen stay more as a game-managing QB like he did last season, or would you rather see him just be let loose and see what he can do? I'd rather see this. I mean, certainly if it's going to work to this level, but also when you look at the Bills from last year, obviously they were a very good football team, but they were never a true contender because to be a Super Bowl caliber team in the modern NFL, you have to be an elite offense. Even teams that we think about like the Niners with a defensive identity, they were scoring almost 30 points a game last year. Meanwhile, the Bills were at 19.6. So there was just no comparison there, and that put a clear ceiling on this team. They need Allen to be exceptional. They do, or at the very least, a really good quarterback, a top-half quarterback, which he wasn't last season, and that is part of the reason why they weren't a Super Bowl-caliber team. If you're going to score with the Chiefs, if you're going to score with the Ravens, you need to have Josh Allen, obviously not playing like this where he's been perfect through two weeks, but playing really well. And I think that the Cam comparison was interesting because, of course, I think that their games are very similar. If you look at the formula that Cam followed, it was having that great team defense and having one season where, obviously, he's always been exceptional as a runner, but as a passer, he was just more dynamic than ever before. The 35 touchdowns limited the turnovers to a real reasonably low number. Can Josh Allen do that for a season? Yes, it's possible. At the same time, following a Cam Newton MVP season as sort of the blueprint is a little bit iffy to me just because it's such a clear outlier season in his career, whereas these other guys are doing it year in, year out. The final aspect I'd like to tackle on to my Allen MVP case is the Bills' rushing attack is not dominant, which means their offense is going to have to run through Allen, which means Allen is going to put up numbers. I think um, Devin Singletary is a good running back. He's a good receiver, but it's not like the Bills want to feed Devin Singletary. They want to feed Josh Allen. Yeah, and the Bills are clearly a passing offense when they're at their best now, especially when Allen is playing like this. But if you look at their most talented offensive weapons are now in the receiving game in Stephon Diggs and John Brown, and that's just where they have to go, which is interesting from this team that had this hard-nosed defense, run-the-ball-down-your-throat mentality last year to now, obviously, the defensive identity is still there, but let's see what we can unlock passing-wise, and let's take some chances, and that has been obviously very exciting through a couple weeks. Let's not talk about some teams that are doing rather poorly because Trevor Lawrence has been the kind of guy that front offices have had their eyes on since he first burst onto the scene in college football. So when we talk about the team that is going to win the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and obviously uh, finish with the worst record in football, who do you see as the favorite to take that spot right now? It's the New York football Jets. Uh, Le'Veon Bell goes down with a hamstring injury. Jamison Crowder goes down, and now Sam Darnold's going to have to throw it to Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios, and Josh Malones. I don't want Darnold to take the blame here, Carson, but I think it's a very real possibility that we see a Josh Rosen situation and see him get dealt to another team in favor of Trevor Lawrence because we've seen in the past with coaching changes comes quarterback changes. Cliff Kingsbury to Arizona. Um, Adam Gase is going to be gone. The man is... He's stupid. He's an idiot. Adam Gase is a 
he's a he's the dumbest coach in football. I don't know how he got the job in New York. I'm sick and tired of watching him. And there's a lot of problems in New York. Honestly, I don't want to see Trevor Lawrence go here because he's going to get mauled behind this offensive line. Although, I'll give a shout-out to Makai Beckton. He's looked really solid at left tackle. Um, I think this is easily the worst team in football. I think the Dolphins are better. I think the Jags are better offensively. And the Jets just seem like the least improved team in football. Carson, from what you've seen out of them, what do you think? I think that it's clearly the Jets at this point. And if you look at their performances thus far, that 17-27 loss versus the Bills is so deceptive. They could have lost that game 49-7. to They were completely outclassed for the entire time. They scored a garbage time, touch, garbage time touchdown at the end of it that sort of skewed the score. Then they got thrashed by the banged-up Niners. As you mentioned, Le'Veon on the IR. This defense is an abomination, and you look at the lack of weapons and the terrible O-line and Darnold having his struggles and Le'Veon being out, but the Bills got in scoring position nine times effortlessly. The Niners rushed for 182 yards, so I do think that at this point the Jets are pretty clearly the worst team in football. The question to me that is more interesting is, do they then bite on Trevor Lawrence if they end up with the number one pick? Because I have my issues with Darnold. I think he is inaccurate at times. I think he makes some poor decisions. I am lower on him than most people, I would say. If you look at his performance in this in his career up to this point, only 60% completion with 38 touchdowns and 29 interceptions. But at the same time, are they going to give up on this guy after three years who they invested in so highly, who still displays talent in stretches and was pretty good for them when they needed him last year, led them to a winning record when he was their starter? So you can't really detach what he's been in the NFL from the situation. Now there are times where I think that he just sees ghosts and he misses throws by several yards. And and I talk about this with Peyton T. Gallagher a lot, who's a big Darnold defender and blames it all in the situation. I'm like, Darnold isn't great on his own merits. He misses throws. He makes bad decisions. He turns the ball over. But again, it's difficult to completely detach that from him just being with the Jets. So my question to you is, if they do win the sweepstakes, are they actually going to pull the trigger and say, bye-bye, Darnold, let's get Trevin here? Yes, I think so. Um, At the quarterback position in the NFL, when you don't win games, it all gets blamed on the quarterback. Carson, a similar situation, I don't see this happening because of the talent, but if the Cleveland Browns went 4-12 and and got the number one pick, I think they give up on Baker Mayfield. The quarterback position is so directly connected to winning in the NFL, it's almost like a go-to. And at this point, if there was a Chase Young on board, maybe I, or, you know, a Chase Young-esque player, I say maybe the Jets don't go and bite on Trevor Lawrence, but I don't see any other standouts other than Lawrence or Justin Fields, and... I think the top two teams at this draft will go. Carson, if the Jets get the pick, are there any other prospects that you've seen that you think they would take? I almost think the prospects don't matter. I think it's a question of, do you think Darnold is the guy? And you may be right that they give up on him already because that is the cycle of NFL quarterbacks. Sometimes you just get thrown into the fire and you're in a terrible situation and you don't perform and you don't win games because you're not properly set up to do so and it gets blamed on you. And again, I'm not saying that Darnold is absent of blame, I think that he has not been a good NFL quarterback to this point. In fact, if I'm looking at starters in the league right now, he's in my bottom five as far as week one starters go. But at the same time, when you look theoretically at a guy like Josh Rosen, who went to the worst situation in football one year, then got booted, went to the worst situation in football the next year, and now is on a practice squad... I'm not going to act like he was some overwhelming talent in those spots because otherwise he probably would have been given the opportunity, but you can't detach what his career has become from those situations. 
And maybe that is what happens with Darnold. I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to imagine them giving up on him. But so much of it depends on how the rest of this year goes. Because if he he's in his third year, right? This is a make-or-break season for a lot of quarterbacks, especially when there is that kind of talent coming in in the draft who they're going to want to take a chance on because it's appetizing, it's unknown, and generally, if you don't love what you have, you're going to sell it on the off chance that what is coming is great and is better. And Trevor Lawrence is certainly an appetizing prospect coming in this coming season. And you know as well as I do, Carson, you know how long the offseason is. You know how long it takes for teams to just sit there and stew and go, is this the guy? And then they see Trevor Lawrence and they see what a big guy is and they see how good a football he can throw. And I think I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick regardless of who gets it just because he's that overwhelming a talent. So you said that you, I think Sam Darnold does, he needs to take some of the blame because he's not been as dominant. And he wasn't even dominant in college. He had flaw. He had major flaws at USC. How much of the blame, let's go 100%. How much of the blame is on Darnold? How much do you give to the wideouts that he's throwing to? Well, I don't necessarily think it's the receivers who are the problem. I think it's the O-line and the, the infrastructure of the Jets organization. But, you know, at least... 40% has to be on Darnold. Again, I think that he's a top, a bottom five starting quarterback in football right now. So I clearly don't think all that highly of him. But also, if he had been drafted to a more favorable situation, he would be doing better undeniably. Okay, you have one game. Sam Darnold or Tyrod Taylor? I'm taking Darnold. That's pretty easy for me to say. I'll take Justin Herbert. Uh, although, actually, prayers up for Tyrod right now because he is in a difficult situation. But, um, yeah. I've shared my thoughts on him as a quarterback before. Let's move on to talk about two teams that are involved in actually a Week 3 matchup. The Raiders and the Patriots have both emerged as two of the most exciting teams in the AFC through the first two weeks and as potential wildcard contenders. So, Logan, we both expressed how high we were on the Raiders after Week 1, actually, and then they went out and stunned some people in Week 2 beating the Saints. Are you more confident in them or the team that they will be facing in the Patriots to make the playoffs this season? I, I, I say this clenching my teeth. I'm going to take the Pats. Um, you know, coming off a win against the Saints I, that I had no confidence in in them winning, uh, the Raiders are impressive. Uh, Derek Carr doesn't turn the ball over, and that's exactly what he needs to do. And honestly, Carson, as the season goes along, if the Raiders continue to play good football, I, I say this. This is no lie. I say this with... I mean this. I think the Raiders are a team that can knock off the Kansas City Chiefs because of their stylistically and how they play football. Is this defense good enough to slow down Tyreek Hill and their offense? No. But their offense holds onto that ball long enough and just lets Josh Jacobs eat. If they play the time of possession game, I can see an instance in which the Raiders beat the Chiefs in at least one of their matchups this season. Um, I'm taking the Patriots more because they've been there, done that, and I've been more impressed with them as a team instead of the Raiders. Uh, I think their team's a little more sustainable. This young Raiders defense is susceptible. Um, I'm not 100% confident in what we've seen. I know they're young, and I think they will get better as the season goes along, but the Patriots had a historically great defense last season. It has not taken a huge drop-off, although it's been moderate, but Bill Belichick is the smartest coach in NFL history, and if you want me to put my money on Bill Belichick or Chucky, I'm taking Bill because he's been there, he's done that, and Cam Newton, dark horse MVP candidate because he is the Patriots' entire offense. 
I think that we are going to see a lot from these teams that tells us where they are headed, not just in this coming week, but over the next few games of the season. Because if you look at the Raiders' next four games, it's Pats, Bills, Chiefs, Bucks. You're going to face some tests there. If you look at it for the Pats, it's over the next five, Raiders, Chiefs, Niners, and Bills. And then within a couple weeks, they have the Ravens. For me, I just trust the Raiders' offense more. And so maybe this is foolishly optimistic. I'm going to go with the great offense over the good defense in the okay offense in the modern NFL. I think that when you look at what Derek Carr has done, he has shown throughout his career that when you put talent around him, he can excel. He was an MVP candidate one season when, yes, they it was a fluke that they went 12-4, and but they went 12-4 and nonetheless, 12-3 and with him as a starter, and right now he has legit weapons, maybe the best he's ever had, in a great O-line. And Jacobs is at the center of that, 59 touches through two weeks for him. The guy is a workhorse, and he's tremendously talented. The question is, of course, can their defense get stops when they need it? And I'm not sure, which is why I don't think that they're some exceptional team. I also don't think that the Pats are some exceptional team. And the Pats offense was obviously very impressive versus the Seahawks putting up 30, having a chance at a win over what I think is a great team in Seattle. Cam is at the very least an average starting NFL quarterback with potential to be more. I'm not going to go out there and say he's a dark horse MVP candidate because we've seen time and again from him that he will explode and then he will underperform the very next week and it generally tends to average out with him to where he's a slightly above average NFL quarterback. The run game is really not all that inspiring. We'll see what it looks like when James White gets back, but he's never that much of a factor in the actual run game. It's more as a receiving back. And the weapons just around him aren't great. Obviously, Edelman was great in Week 2. Nikhil Harry has some tantalizing potential and upside, but he obviously struggled throughout his entire rookie season and isn't some solid, dependable number 2 guy that you can count on for 16 games. And the crux of this argument to me is that we're not going to see that historic defense again from the Pats. They only allowed 30 points once all of last season, and they let up 35 in Week 2, and yes, it's against a very good Seahawks offense, but this defense just doesn't quite compare. Even though the personnel isn't dramatically different, we just always see that throughout the NFL. These these defenses that have incredible single seasons then don't repeat the following year. We can look at from two years ago, it was the Bears. From last year, it's probably going to be the Pats, and to a certain extent, it's probably going to be the 49ers as well. And so, at that point, I'm going to choose the the unit that I think is better, which I think is the Raiders offense, and offense is more valuable right now in the modern NFL. So I'm going to go there. And I don't see things crumbling for the Raiders. Now, maybe they let up 28 points a game this season, and that's their undoing. But I also think that they can score with teams at that level. And so that's why I'm going to put my faith in them. I know that you are also a Raiders optimist. Do you have any remarks on my rationale? Uh, no, I mean, you make a good case. And I, like I said, I think the Raiders and Pats um, are both playoff teams, uh, especially what we've seen out of the Raiders. And also, dude, their home, uh, their new stadium, that is the sickest building I've ever seen, man. It's just going to be hard. I don't care without fans. It's going to be hard to win games there. They have a home field advantage regardless. Um. As for Derek Carr, I think you make a very good case. We've seen with Carr, with weapons around him, where he is not the focal point of the offense, he's successful. And back to the Pats briefly. If Cam Newton goes down, I'm selling all my Pat stock on site. I'm not putting anything in Jared Stidham. I think with a guy like Derek Carr, if Derek Carr went down, I think he means less to this offense than Cam means to the Pats. So... Quarterback-wise, I like the Pats more just because of what I've seen out of Cam and what rushing attack Bill Belichick has built around him. That's why I'm a little more, I guess, confident in the offense, especially the fact that they were able to keep up with Seattle and Russell Wilson. Um, 
As for the Raiders, though, yeah, I'm on the Raiders bandwagon. Go Vegas. Cam very well may be the better quarterback. Do I think he's going to have the better statistical season? I don't because his job is so much harder. And as you mentioned, they go with him a lot more than the Raiders go with Carr. And I don't think that Cam is at the level. He's not the kind of quarterback who can really carry you to wins consistently at this point in his career. I think it's ridiculous that people were talking about Jared Stidham beating him out, beating him out for the job. The only reason I can think of that teams weren't actually going out and getting Cam was because of injuries. Because obviously he is a capable starting quarterback. I don't think that he's some elite guy just because he had a great performance in week two, but he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. That has always been obvious. So finally, so you're going to take the Raiders in this week three matchup? Well, I don't know necessarily about that because they have some injuries. Ruggs is out. Someone else who's escaping me right now is out. But sure, might as well take them. They're going to put up points, I think, and and that's impressive. But it's more for me on the season as a whole. I'm riding with the Raiders. I think that they have the the talent and the upside to do it offensively. Let's talk about some young guys now. Speaking of upside, through two weeks, who do you think has been the best offensive rookie and then flipping it to the other side of the ball, the best defensive rookie? Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I think there's a couple ways you could go. Um, I could see a Jonathan Taylor case with Marlon Mack out. He's looked really good. Um, I could see a Chase Claypool case if you're a Steelers fan. Uh, I'm actually going to go with your guy, uh, <laughs> Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um He's looked exceptional. Uh, first in rookie yards from scrimmage, 32 yards receiving, 176 rushing. Um, obviously, this is a byproduct of the Chiefs' offense, uh, but I don't really think it's close. Edwards Hilaire um, was you know, criminally underrated going into the draft, and I have been really surprised with what he's done. I think that Edwards Hilaire adds a different aspect of the Chiefs' offense that we haven't seen. He keeps defenses a little more honest because, not that honest because, you know, you got Tyree Kill to defend, but you can't just leave guys out of the box, you have to put him up there because he's a good runner, and this offensive line is going to block well for him all season. And the Chiefs have not shied away from the fact that this is their guy. He is going to be the running back for the entire season. There's no committee here. Yeah, there's a couple guys they turn to, but Edwards Hilaire is the man in the backfield, and I think he's going to, if I could switch my offensive rookie of the year pick, I think Burrow's going to be close, but uh, Edwards Hilaire is going to get his touches. He is the safety valve for this offense. He's been extremely impressive, and like I said earlier, dude, shout out to Makai Becton. I've been, I was a, a hater of Becton uh, early in the draft. I just saw a big guy who, you know, had really bad footwork. But honestly, he's held his own for Darnold on the left side. I just feel bad that it has not translated to success for the Jets O-line as a whole. Yeah. If only Offensive Rookie of the Year were the kind of award that an O-lineman could actually win because, honestly, I don't know why it isn't. Like, why wasn't Quentin Nelson Offensive Rookie of the Year beyond me? But I'm going to lean Clydro as well. And yes, I'm going to call him Clydro because I think that's a sick nickname. He, you know, has been pretty remarkable through two weeks. Week one was dominant on the ground, averaging five yards a carry to this point. But what was interesting is week one, he didn't have any catches. Then we see him bounce back in week two, not as dominant on the ground, just didn't get as many opportunities, but six catches, which is exciting to me because this guy is next level explosive and quick and shifty. He's an unbelievable talent and he's the kind of guy where the Chiefs took him in the first round with one of the greatest offenses of all time, and people didn't hate on the pick. And I think that, that tells you the kind of talent that we're looking at here and how easily he fits into this Chiefs offense and what they're trying to accomplish. He is, to me, for the first time since Kareem Hunt, the kind of reliable guy that they can go to down to down. And he's also more intriguing as a receiving back, which I think when you're looking at a guy like Mahomes, having that check down option is invaluable and so important and will just continue to make this offense one of the most unstoppable units in history. 
I do want to give Burrow credit because he was phenomenal versus the Browns. 316 yards, three touchdowns, was composed, was consistently accurate. This guy is just, if he is not destroyed by his situation in Cincinnati, he is going to be such a good NFL quarterback. He not only has the mentality and the composure of one, but he has the skill set. And I think that he's going to be great if things are not just an utter disaster around him to the point where they take him down. Let's flip to the other side of the ball now and talk defense. Who has stood out to you most on that end? Chase Young, obviously. Uh, two and a half sacks through two weeks, a sack in each game, one forced fumble, eight total tackles. Uh, he's living up to the second overall pick hype. And he's a huge reason why the Redskins lead the NFL in sacks under the second-ranked pass rush in the league. He not only makes an impact individually, but he also commands attention from multiple blockers. Um, Chase Young is everything that I expected out of the draft. He's Miles Garrett level of ability I think defensive player of the year is he's going to be in that conversation this season I genuinely believe because of the hype and he's the only player worth mentioning on the Washington I don't know if I said Redskins the Washington football team um another guy that I think deserves a little bit of attention is CJ Henderson uh he's looked really good in the Jacksonville secondary and outside of allowing an AJ Brown touchdown He's been clamps outside for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, Henderson's been impressive. I think the Patrick Queen has been pretty great. He has stood out to me too as the second most impressive defensive talent from this draft, in my opinion. But you got to go Chase Young, man. He is just so immediately ready for the NFL game. It's been such a seamless transition already. He's so explosive. He's so polished. He's overwhelming athletically. And he understands the game at such a high level. And it's just been awesome to see you talk about him as being a potential Defensive Player of the Year candidate. If you were going to set the over-under for sacks at him for this season, because we've already seen him get one and one and a half through the first two games, where would you put it? Um, I'd probably go, honestly, um, double digits. I'd probably say 10 is a good over-under, just because there are going to be games where he's clamped up by a good tackle. I, right? I, I say right because I don't know. Chase Young is that good. I see him... and and. Don't get me wrong. I say Chase Young is a proponent of the Redskins' defensive line. He helps them as a whole. This uh, Man, I said Redskins again, dude. It's stuck in my head. The Washington football team D-line is so good. It helps Chase Young open up, too. Um, the D-tackle, I don't want to butcher his name again. Uh, Ionatis, he's looked really good. And he opens up stuff for Chase Young. I don't see him getting a sack in every game, but I think a 10-sack season is definitely in the cards. I'm going to put it a little bit higher. I'm going to go 12. If you look at what he did in college, and obviously it's a different level, but for his first nine weeks, he had at least half a sack in every game, and that includes a four-sack week, a three-sack week, and several other multiple-sack weeks. And of course, he was next level unstoppable that level because he was just so physically dominant. But I don't think it's all that different when you're looking at Big 10 linemen. Those are some big, tough dudes, a lot of whom are headed to the NFL already. And yes, more developed, more polished when they're at that next level. But I think that Chase Young is going to continue to dominate, and I, I would put the over-under at 12. I think he's that special, and I don't think he's necessarily a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, but I do think he's a disruptor and a shining star on what is not a very great football team overall. So if you're that confident, let me ask Carson. Obviously, this is just spitballing. It'd be hard to call this initially, but the rookie sack record is 14.5 held by Javon Curse. Is there a realm in which you see Chase Young breaking that record? Of course. I, I don't think it's likely, uh, but of course it's possible. He's one of the most talented pass rushing prospects we've ever seen. So yes, I think that and he's so 
immediately ready to contribute and impact games right now. We're, we saw it in week one. He changed the course of that game in some ways. So absolutely, I have faith in him to at least approach that record. And if I'm going to bet on anyone to break it, might as well be him. Let's move on now to our final question about the NFL through two weeks. The AFC South has been a confusing division. The Jags could very easily be 2-0. and The reigning champion Houston Texans are struggling a bit at 0-2. Who is your favorite to take that division right now? So I know I came on here and said the best 0-2 team is the Texans and the worst 2-0 team is the Titans, but uh, there's levels to that. There is a definite gap between the two teams. Uh, I'm still sticking with the Titans, obviously with a lead already on the division by beating the on the division by beating the Broncos and the Jags. Um, the Titans don't have it easy the rest of the way. They got to go against the Steelers, the Bills, and I'd be remiss to say that Deshaun Watson can't take a game from this team. But uh, I have been underwhelmed by what I've seen out of the Texans. Again, they've played two very tough opponents, but an O-line over a 16-game schedule like this will not last, and I can very well see Deshaun Watson getting beat up. Again, we have not seen Watson without Hopkins, so that factors in. Uh, I briefly considered the Jacksonville Jaguars in this because of how good Gardner Minshew has looked and how great this offense has looked, but um, the Jaguars are such an underwhelmingly talented team, and as for the Indianapolis Colts, there is a case to be made. But my arch rival plays for that football team, so I cannot <laughs> in good faith make that take. I'll be sticking with the Titans as long as Henry stays healthy, as long as Ryan Tannehill can do a little play-action pass to John New Smith in the back of the end zone, and this defense stays solid. Um, I don't think it'll be close. I think the Titans will win this division. Although the Colts are very talented, I just have not been impressed with what I've seen out of Phillip Rivers. You brought up the Jacksonville Jaguars before my pick to win this division. And I'm sticking with what I said before the season. I'm going with the Colts. I think that if you look at the most talented single unit in this division, it's probably the Colts defense. And they were fantastic versus the Vikings. Absolutely smothered Kirk Cousins and the boys. Not so great versus the Jags letting up 27. But if you look at a top-level offseason, adding Xavier Rhodes and DeForest Buckner to a unit that already had individual talents like Darius Leonard and Justin Houston and Malik Hooker, I think this could really be a great defense. And when you look on the flip side of the ball, yes, your arch-rival, Phillip, has been eh. He's hasn't been exceptional through two games. 577 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, over 77% completion, really just not being overly aggressive or taking too many chances, which is not characteristic for him because he tends to be a bit of a gunslinger. He basically lost in week one with a bad interception when they were driving and had a chance to to get a score that would have put them up and just, I mean, it was a great play by the defensive player at well. He jumped it, but it was certainly a misread and a missed throw by, by Phil. And I feel like I need to see a little more from him to determine what level we're going to get from him because two seasons ago, he was fantastic and was a great quarterback on a great team. Last season, he was not very good on what was not a very good football team. So I don't know what we'll see from him. I do think it depends on what the weapons can provide him. And a large part of that is T.Y. Hilton, who has not been good enough. 81 yards through two games. It was concerning last season. Yes, he was hobbled by injuries, but only 500 yards in 10 games last year. He has to be a star. But do I think that this offense can ride a really good defense with Phillip Rivers at the helm? I absolutely do. He's done it before, and yes, he's not at his peak, but I do think he can do it again. And when I look at the Titans, I just have not been convinced. Barely beat the Broncos, barely beat the Jags by a combined five points between those two games. They were outgained against the Jags by 126 yards, and for them to barely win those two games... 
They've needed incredible Ryan Tannehill, who is completing 70% of his passes for 488 yards and six touchdowns. And if he replicates last season where he basically doesn't miss a pass and limits his turnovers and leads the league in passer rating, which right now he's been better than through two weeks because he's been not just a great game manager, but a weapon at times, then they very well may come out of this division and probably will. But I just don't completely trust in him to stay at that level. And another thing that stands out to me, and I don't think this is a huge long-term issue because Derrick Henry is utterly special, but it's not coming as easy to him right now. He's getting the carries. The dude is the definition of a workhorse, but just 3.6 yards per carry through two weeks. And I think that they feel the loss of Jack Conklin a little bit there. Is Derrick Henry going to be a top five running back in football? No matter what, yes, but is he the kind of guy who can carry them to multiple playoff wins if they don't have uh, a, a a an excellent offensive line and then also the kind of defense that steps up to the biggest moments like they did last year? I don't necessarily think that he is that kind of guy because what running back in football is, he was the only one last year, and I don't know if he can replicate that. I like their defense. I just like the Colts a little more, and I trust Phillip Rivers at the helm a little more than Ryan Tannehill, even though Tannehill has been better lately. And I don't think there's a big difference between the weapons. So I'm going to go with the best unit, which I think is the Colts and their defense. Defensively, I think the Colts take the cake over any other team in this division. I think uh, their pass rush has been slept on as the season has begun. I think a lot of people are focused on Blitzburg. A lot of people are focused on the Washington football team. The Colts may very well have the best pass rush in football. Carson, I will say, when Phillip Rivers ultimately breaks your heart and loses this division, I will laugh on your face and I will post about, I, I will crop this exact part of the podcast, I will post it on Twitter, and then I'll superimpose a video of myself laughing at you, because it's going to be funny. Philip Rivers will break your heart, just like he's broken every Chargers fan's heart over the past 20 years. That's very nice of you, Logan. Thank you. And on that note, we will end this podcast um, as Logan talks about dancing on my grave as Philip Rivers lets me down. Once again, like Philip Rivers has let me down before, he's let down Chargers fans. You are certainly right about that. And you have reveled in it. And, and it has been some of the best moments of your football life, I'm sure. So that's going to do it. We'll see how week three changes some things. Obviously, we're operating on a, a pretty small sample size based on what we've seen thus far. But it's exciting. We like talking about this stuff and it's football. So I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was NerdSash. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. 
Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 